Last week, I'm going to kind of jump into things. Last week, we started a new series in, uh, called First John in the book of First John. We got really creative with the title on this one, First John. In fact, why don't you grab your Bible, if you would, grab a Bible and flip open to it now. So First John is right near the end of your Bible. So it's uh, Revelation, Jude, Third John, Second John, First John. So it's about five books from the back of your Bible. Um, First John is, uh, uh, I think, an incredible book. It's a short book, an incredible book that is very, very practical for us today. And my challenge, I gave you a challenge last week, actually the last couple weeks, to read First John. We said five chapters long, literally will take us 15 to 20 minutes. And we said, man, what if we, what if we committed to read that each, each week throughout this series and just ask God as we read it, like, teach me. Lord, teach me what you want me to know. You know there's lots of stuff that, that we can read and we can go, yep, I, I, I think I got that. But the truth is, we're not applying it to our lives. Or there's errors in our minds that the scriptures can correct. And so we said, man, what if we just committed together that over these next five weeks, the five weeks of this series, we would read 1 John at least one time during that week. So I hope you had a chance to do that this past week. Uh, literally 15, 20 minutes to do it. And I'll, I'll lay down the challenge again. Um, do it this week. If you, if you get a chance, I'd really, I, I think it will be helpful to, as, as we kind of dialogue together uh, on our services, but then also throughout the week as you're talking in your grace groups and just asking the Lord what to teach you through it. So um, last week we gave kind of the, the 30,000 foot view of First John and we said John was dealing with some crazy things in the church, right? He was dealing with some crazy issues, some uh, false teaching got kind of penetrated into the church and that's what prompts John to write this letter. And we said there's a lot of false teaching around us as well today. Like this isn't just true 2,000 years ago. It's true for us today as well and so we need to be on our guards too, right? And it doesn't mean that we should avoid everyone or everything that takes an opposing viewpoint of this. That's not what it means. As Christians, we're not like anti-knowledge. We're not anti-thinking. We're not anti-people. In fact, I believe that we should be people that seek truth, like period. That, that, That should be what we do because all truth is God's truth, right? Like if something is true, God designed it that way. God designed it to be true. And that's actually been the MO for Christians over the last 2,000 years. Most of the amazing discoveries over the last 2,000 years is because people of faith, followers of Jesus, have said, I want to understand God's design. I want to understand his creation. I want to understand truth. And it led to all of these discoveries. And so we should be people who seek truth too, because I firmly believe if we seek truth, it will lead us to the cross. I believe that with all of my heart. But we need to be careful when we're talking about truth that we don't think truth is relative. You know, like what's true for you is true for you. What's true for me is true for me. And if they're opposing and conflicting, big deal. Who cares about it? And we can't try to twist what the Bible says to make things all sort of fit together. Some things just don't fit together. And this is what's happening in John's time. This is what was going on in the church. People, in fact, some of the leaders in the church were teaching things. They started to believe things that actually were in opposition to what this says. And they start to try to make it, like twist it, mash it together with what the Bible says. And what happens is you have a very different faith. It's not what this says. And so they started believing things like, um, what's sin anyway? Yeah, there's no such thing as sin right? Sin is, sin is nothing. Why? Well, because the physical world is nothing. All that matters is the spiritual. 
matter, physical, all of this stuff is meaningless. And so that leads them to believe that life doesn't really matter. Like the way that I live my life doesn't really matter. What I do, what I say, right? Like all of that, the way I treat people, it doesn't matter. All that matters is I know the truth. I know the secret, right? And I'll tell you what, sometimes I've seen this happen in the church many times today too. People will go, yes, I, I accepted Jesus when I was five years old and I got baptized. Yes, I got the truth. I know it. I'm going to be with God one day. But then you look at their lives and God has no part in their lives, right? So we can do this today too. And they start getting a little bit more twisted about who Jesus was. Jesus wasn't really a man. If, if like the physical doesn't really matter and spiritual is all that matters, they start to believe, well, Jesus wasn't really a physical person. He was just a spirit. I mean, come on. You want me to believe that God himself was brutally tortured and killed on a cross? Come on, I'm not gonna believe that. That wasn't really his body. He, God is just spirit. Jesus is just spirit. And then they start thinking things like, uh, I should be the center of my life because I'm actually God. <laughs> like, I am God. I am him. He is me. I am in him. He is in me. Right? That's these kind of strange beliefs that started to infiltrate the church. By the way, I want to say this just as an aside. There's a lot of people that believe that around today, too. That's actually a core tenet in some of the major world religions. Like, we are all, like, small gods, and we need to, like, release our spirit and let our light connect with the ultimate light. And we got to be careful about that. That's actually not at all what Christianity says. And I say this, like, no matter how great any of us think we are, we're not God, right? I mean, I don't feel like God. I don't look like God. Marshall will tell you after a workout, I certainly don't smell like God, right? Don't be deceived. I'm not God and neither are you. That's important for us to know. And no matter how much I want God to be whatever, I want God to be this way. I believe God is this way. No matter how much we want God to be whatever it is we want him to be, God is who he is, right? I don't determine who God is. I discover who God is. The focus isn't me. I determine who, that's not what it is. I discover who God is. God is who he is. And so one of the things that John reinforces over and over and over again is 1 John. Really, he reinforces two things, reinforces two things that lead to a third thing that we talked about last week. So the first thing that John talks about really in lots of different ways, we're going to look at some of it tonight, is that my life matters. Right? I made you say it last week. Let's say it together. Ready? My life matters matters. Do you believe that? Yeah. Your life matters. My life matters to others and my life matters to God. My life, whether I accept it or not, whether I believe it or not, my life is always impacting, is always influencing other people, right? It just happens, especially the people, excuse me, especially the people that are closest to us, My life is always influencing. My life matters certainly to other people. And my life matters to God as well. God cares how I live, right? Because how I live is a direct reflection on who God is and my relationship with him. If I say I'm a follower of Jesus, but my life looks nothing like Jesus, how much do I really love God, right? Like how much is he really the center of my life? How much am I really committed to him? And if I say, yeah, I'm a follower of Jesus, but my, not, my life looks nothing like Jesus, what sort of impression is that giving other people about who Jesus is, right? If I, if I say I'm a follower of Jesus and I'm a jerk, what did people think Jesus is like, 
It's like, my life matters. It matters to others. It matters to God. We talked about that last week. Second thing we talked about is we said, Jesus has got to be my, our focus and our anchor, right? Jesus has got to be our focus and our anchor. When Jesus is our focus and anchor, it's hard for us to fall into error. It's hard for us to fall into sin. When he's my focus, he keeps me centered, right? When he's not, when anything else is my focus, it's really easy for me to start believing some wrong things. And it's really easy for me to start doing some wrong things. And we said, Jesus is like an anchor that keeps us from drifting. We have all these currents of life that we're affected by. Remember we talked about the beach. And I said, you, you sit in the water, the beach, if you're not careful, you just sort of move down the beach. You don't even realize it's happening. But when we're anchored in with Jesus and he's our focus, he's that spot on the horizon that we can look at. When we feel ourselves, when we realize that we're, being, that we're drifting, we can reorient ourselves to him. Say so he's our focus and he's our anchor. And those two things... When we, when we realize that our lives matter to others, our lives matter to God, he, we make him our focus and our anchor. We said, it gives us certainty for eternity. And we said, that's, that's actually a big reason why John wrote this book. He wrote this book so that we would have like a great life now, like a full life now to show us how to live life the best way possible and to give us certainty of the life to come. We said last week, we said, we're all gonna die. Like we, all, we know that this life's gonna end. I know it's a bummer statement, I'm sorry, but it's true, right? This life is gonna end for all of us, but there's a life to come. And we can be certain of where we're going through Jesus. When we make him our focus and our anchor, we can have like this almost unexplainable confidence and certainty of what happens next. And so death is not a fearful thing. The, the end of this life is not terrifying to us anymore. Actually, it means the next life is even better. And so that's what we talked about last week. This week, and so we kind of the general view last week. This week, I want to start talking about specifics. And the first thing that John specifically talks about is this, this imagery of light and darkness. And here's what I want to do. I, want to, I, I actually just want to start reading at the beginning of 1 John. There's something, we believe God's word. This is God's word. We believe it's powerful. We believe it changes us. It cuts to our heart. There's something powerful in just reading it together. So I just want to do that. So it, you, hopefully you got a Bible open. John, 1 John, excuse me, chapter 1, fifth to last book in the Bible. And we're just going to start right at the beginning. And then we'll talk about it. I'm excited about this. So this is, so this is what he says. <clears throat> that which was from the beginning which we've heard, which we've seen with our, e with our eyes, which we've looked at and our hands have touched, <clears throat> this we proclaim concerning the word of life. The life appeared, we've seen it, we testify to it, and we proclaim to you the eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. We proclaim to you what we've seen and heard so that you also may have fellowship with us. And our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. We write this to make our joy complete. Okay, so what's, what's John saying here? He's saying, we're writing to you like we were with him. So, so John, who writes this, was it, certainly, maybe beyond his mother and father, Jesus' best friend in this world, right? It's his best buddy. And John writes this and he says, listen, I'm writing to you about the one that we saw with our own eyes, we, we touched him with our own hands. We heard him talk with our own ears. He wasn't just a spirit. He's a physical being. And we're writing so that you could know him. 
and you could have a relationship with him and his father. And we've experienced some amazing things that Jesus has done and it's changed us forever. And I'm writing because I want you, the reader, to experience those same things, right? That's, that's kind of how he opens the letter. It's kind of it in a nutshell. I want to keep going. I want to break some rules of preaching here. I, I actually want to read a chunk, kind of a big, usually I say, don't read more than like five verses before you start talking. I want to read 15 verses together, okay? Because I, I want you to see the whole picture because it all goes together. And I think it gives us a much fuller perspective on what John's writing. So, so look at verse five. <coughs> This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you. God is light. In him, there's no darkness at all. If we claim to have fellowship with him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we don't live out the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of, the son, of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. He says, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Remember, he's writing at a time where people were starting to say, no, there's no such thing as sin. Nah, I'm not, a, I'm not a sinner. Sin's like not even real. The physical doesn't matter. John addresses this. He says, listen, if we claim to be without sin, you're crazy. We deceive ourselves. The truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will for, forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. If we claim we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. We'll go to, go to chapter two. My dear children, I write this to you so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He is the atoning sacrifice for our sins and not only for ours, but also for the sins of the whole world. I, I, one of the commentators that I read this week, I like how he summed it up. He summed up these verses. He said, what, what these verses really are saying is, do your best not to sin, but if you do, you have help. I like that. We have an advocate. He says, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. Verse three, we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commands. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands is a liar. And the truth is not in that person. But if anyone obeys his word, love for God is truly made complete in him. This is how we know we are in him. Whoever claims to live in him must live as Jesus did. How we live matters, right? Verse seven, dear friends, I'm not writing you a new command, but an old one, which you've had since the beginning. This old command is the message that you've heard. Yet I'm writing you a new command. Its truth is seen in him and in you. <coughs> Excuse me. Because the darkness is passing, <coughs> excuse me, and the true light is already shining. And then he kind of summarizes it in his last three verses. He says, anyone who claims to be in the light but hates a brother or sister is still in darkness. Anyone who loves their brother and sister lives in the light and there is nothing in them to make them stumble. But anyone who hates a brother or sister is in darkness and walks around in darkness. They do not know where they're going because the darkness has blinded them. Okay, so this, this whole discussion that John <coughs> gets into, man, this happened last week, sorry. I'm gonna, I'm gonna drink a little water here. My voice can get much better, hold on. This whole discussion about light and darkness is, is like, it just is very meaningful to me this week. It's been powerful to me this week as I've been preparing because it clarifies things in my mind. 
You know, like this, this, and this metaphor, this example, light and dark, it, it clarifies my understanding of God. It clarifies my understanding of sin. It clarifies my understanding of life, like what my life was like before I was a follower of Jesus, what my life is like as a follower of Jesus. And so I hope that as we dig into this here, that you have the same experience. Like there's some things that, that maybe are clarified in your mind that jump out to you and you go, okay, I, I see what he means here. I see what it means to walk in the light how good that is and how possible that is and what it looks like to walk in the darkness and how terrifying that is. So I'm excited to jump into this tonight. So let's start with darkness. So um, as, a, as a kid, like as I think about darkness, like the first thing I think of as a kid, I was scared of the dark. Like I think maybe most kids at one point or another are scared of the dark, right? My kids were both scared of the dark. They're kind of getting beyond it now. But for me, man, I remember very clearly being terrified of the dark and, uh, you know, just like wondering what was inside my closets, right? Like, as, as I think about it, I, as I think about darkness and what makes darkness so scary, which is an interesting question. Like, why are so many people scared of the dark? Why is almost every kid scared of the dark? You ever wonder that? Here's what I think I think it's the unknown, right? When you think about the darkness, like what makes darkness so scary? I, I think it's the unknown. And the unknown can look like a lot of different things. For a kid, the unknown is, is there a monster in my closet? Or is there a monster under my bed? I'll tell you what, when I was a kid, there is no way that I would have my hand or foot hanging off the side of the bed. Because I knew that the monster living under my bed would snatch that right off, no questions asked, Right? <laughs> For a kid, our fear of the darkness is like, it's the monster, it's the unknown if there's a monster under our bed. As an adult, darkness is less scary because we're worried about monsters, but more because we have like no awareness of what's going on around us. We like to be in control as adults, right? When you're in the darkness, we're in less control. We don't know, we can't see what's going on around us. Now, some of that's alleviated when we're familiar with our surroundings, right? So like in my house, I'm not scared of the dark in my house because I know my way around the house. Like I know what's going on there. But let me give you a scenario. We got lots of hunters in here, right? We got lots of hunters. Imagine this, I, I talked to a couple of them this week. I wanna make sure I get this right. Imagine this scenario. Imagine you're, you're going out hunting, you're hunting alone, which I know hunters don't always hunt alone, but let's assume that you're hunting alone, okay? You're up in a tree stand, you're all locked in with it, it's getting to be about dusk and you're getting really sleepy and all of a sudden you doze off in the tree stand and you don't wake up till like midnight, right? And when you wake up, there is this incredible fog all around you. It's a real overcast night, this fog all around you. You have no light from the moon, no light from the stars, right? Your, your little lantern, your flashlight, dead. Your iPhone, dead. No light anywhere. What do you do? Like, imagine that scenario. How, like, how do, you na- how do you navigate that? How do you feel? You're by yourself. You cannot see anything. Maybe you manage your way down how do, you, how do you have any confidence in even walking, right? All the sounds that you hear, that could be absolutely terrifying. What do you do in a situation like that? See, darkness can still be very scary for us as adults because it's hard to navigate in the darkness. It's hard to navigate when we don't know what our surroundings are like, like when it's all unknown around us. And invariably what happens is we stumble, 
We fall. We make bad decisions in the darkness because we can't see, right? Now, listen, begin to apply that to our spiritual lives as John does here. What do you think it means to live or, or to walk in the darkness spiritually as John's talking about it? See, I, I remember living in darkness. Like I, I remember what my life was like before Jesus rescued me. And, and I don't think at that time I could have uh, verbalized it this way, like, yes, I feel like I'm living in darkness. I, 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 but looking back, I go, man, it's crystal clear. It's crystal clear. You know, it's just like, I, there was this, like I was in a, in a fog, in a haze. Like I knew I couldn't, there were things I was missing. I couldn't see. I, I couldn't see the whole picture, and I knew it. I was missing pieces of reality, and I knew it. And I was trying my best. I remember I was trying my best to be important and to succeed and do things the best way possible. But at the same time, I, didn't, I knew that I didn't even know what was best. You ever have that? Like I knew that I don't know what's best. And I had no confidence. Like I acted like I was confident, but I wasn't. I didn't really know what I was supposed to be doing. And I had lots of fear because I knew that at any point I could stumble over something or I could fall into something. I hated living in the darkness. And, and as I was in there, I was craving something different. Looking back, I can see I was, I was craving the light as I was living in darkness. Now, let's talk a little bit about the light. Like we'll, we'll, let's talk about what it means literally. We'll talk about what it means spiritually here in a second. Let's talk about what light does literally, and then we'll apply it spiritually to our lives. It's funny. I think most people crave the light, you know? Like, I know my wife does. It gets, like, when it's overcast. It's funny how in the winter in Northeast Ohio, you get, like, one sunny day, and everybody's, like, singing and dancing, you know? It could be freezing, but you see the sun, and everybody's, like, super excited. I, I think we crave the light. Let me ask you this. What does the light do for us? Like just physically, we're not, we're not talking spiritually yet, just physically. Like what, what does light do for us? I thought a lot about this this week. Here's the, here's the first thing that jumps out to me. Light brings life, right? Like light brings life. So think about plants, think about photosynthesis. It's been a while since I've studied photosynthesis. But I remember most plants on the face of this planet cannot live and grow and thrive without light. For them, light brings life. How about this? It, it helps me see things clearly. Light brings clarity. It, it gives me an accurate picture of reality. It shows me what's around me. It, it enhances my senses, right? Now I can see things. It enhances my awareness. And it increases my, my, my chance of success in doing the things that I want to do and doing the things that I need to do. Let me give you an example. Think about baseball, right? Baseball's, some of you guys are baseball guys. Baseball's a really tough sport. They say hitting a round ball with a round bat's like the hardest thing in sports, right? Imagine playing baseball in the dark. Like it's, it's impossible. There's, there's some sports you can kind of do in the dark. Baseball, that's like a death wish if you try to play baseball in the dark. It's impossible to do. Light brings clarity. Light, light gives us an accurate picture of reality and it allows us to do the things that we want to do. It allows us to do the things that we need to do, that we intend to do. 
How about this? So it, so it brings light, it brings clarity. How about this? It reveals beauty. You ever think about this? Light reveals beauty. Throw up that first picture. This is a work of art. This is a masterpiece. You guys have probably all seen it before. Doesn't look like anything when it's dark like that. Go to the next slide. You see it that way. I don't know if she's that beautiful. Bright. <laughs> Mona Lisa, I don't know. What's that smirk about? I don't know. But like, the, I mean, just, you know, the, the, the texture and the perspective and the shading, the shadows, all of that. Like, you see all of that with light. Light reveals beauty. You know what else it does? It reveals hideousness. Go to the next slide. Go to the next slide. Here's a, here's a picture. Doesn't look like much of anything there. It just looks like mostly dark with a little bit of light. Go, go to the next picture. Look at that. And what, do you, what does it reveal to us? Hopelessness, distress, death, brutality, despair, maybe selfishness, right? Light reveals beauty. Light reveals hideousness. Now begin to apply that to our spiritual lives. What do you think it means to walk in the light spiritually? We talked about what it means to walk in the darkness a little bit. What do you think it means to walk in the light? See, I remember going from darkness to light in my own life. I remember like how, I, I don't, again, I don't think at the time I could have verbalized it this way, but when I realized how good it was, how, first of all, how bad it was where I was living, like what my life was like to step into the light and go, there's life. Like I, I can finally have joy. I didn't realize how dead I was before until I'm made alive and I have joy and I have peace I have forgiveness, and I have freedom, I have purpose. I could actually live, I could actually thrive, and I could see clearly. I could see what was around me. I could see who was around me. I could see people. I could see what they were thinking now. I could see what people were feeling. I noticed what people were going through. Previously, I didn't really care. I was living in darkness, I was living in selfishness. All of a sudden, it's like there's, there's people and they're, and they're worthwhile. They have needs and they have feelings. I see that now. What else does it do? It helps me see what's important and what's unimportant. You go from darkness, you're like, I don't even, I can, I don't even know what's important and what's not. I go to the light and I'm like, holy moly, all these things that I thought were important over here aren't that important, right? I can see how off base I was. And beauty, man, I could see so much beauty in God in people, in things, in situations, in my past, in my future. And I could see hideousness. I could see the hideousness of evil and sin clearer than I ever could for the very first time, mostly in myself. Selfishness, pride, lust, greed, right? All of those things that we all deal with in one way or another. And of course, then you see it in the world too. And when you're in the light, you look at those things, the hideousness of sin, and you go, I don't want any of that. I don't want that anymore. That's not who I am. See, this is what light does. 
It, it, it completely changes it. And sometimes when we're living in darkness and we're introduced to the light, it can, it can shock us, right? It can be shocking to us. It's funny, I remember one time, I was, I think I was in college, I was, I was at my parents, I was living at my parents' house, and it was, I was woken up in the middle of the night to a terrible thunder and lightning storm. Like, it was really, really bad, it was really close. And so I woke up in the middle of the night, and I had to go to the bathroom, I go to the bathroom, and I walk back in the room, and so the window is like back this way, my bed was coming out from the wall here, and I'm walking in this way, and just as I step in, all of a sudden there's this huge flash of light, and this gigantic boom, and instinctively, this still cracks me up, it must have looked ridiculous, instinctively, I dove behind the bed. I was like two in the morning. I just got, I'm not even awake. This gigantic, this gigantic boom and bright flash of light, and I dive down into the darkness beside the bed. Okay, sometimes light can do that to us. Sometimes when we're living in the darkness, and all of a sudden we're exposed to, to, to God's bright light, our first reaction is to hide in fear. Our first reaction is to dive behind the bed because the light is so bright, and it exposes everything. Right? For others of us, they've been wandering around in, in darkness and misery. I think this would define me. You've been wandering around <clears throat> in darkness and misery for so long, just like longing and yearning for the light that you get even the tiniest glimpse of light. And you're like, I want that. I, I take a step toward that light because I'm so sick of living in the darkness. It's like, it's like a moth being attracted to light, right? Or a moth to a flame. I was always, as a kid, like infatuated with those little bug zapper things. You know, like we never had one, but I thought those were the most amazing. These bugs just, like they just would go right into it and boom, they would explode. It's like they had no control of it. Sorry, terrible example there. <laughs> Here's my point. Like we're drawn to, some people are drawn to the light because they're so sick. It's like they can't, they can't even help themselves because they're so sick of living in the darkness. In, in my 21 years of being a Christian, of, of, of following Jesus, uh, in my 15 years of ministry, I've seen people who have responded to the light and continued to walk in that light, imperfectly, but continued to walk in that light for the rest of their lives. Like they step into the light and they're changed forever and they just continue in that light for the rest of their lives. I've seen other people who never respond positively to the light. When they're, when they're exposed to the light, they dive down behind the bed because they prefer darkness. They choose darkness. I've seen those who have experienced the light for a time in their lives and they've walked in the light for a time and then later they've rejected it. And they said, I don't, I don't want that anymore. I, I choose the darkness. That's what I want. And then I've seen other people who've experienced the light and they've chosen to walk in the light, but they continually struggle with letting go of the darkness. They, can, they continually go back to it. It's, like, it's almost like they can't help it. And, and you know, whether it's habit or, or selfishness or weakness, I don't know. But they know, they've experienced the light, but they just can't stay in it. They keep going back to the darkness. And here's the question I ask myself. Like, what's the difference maker with that? Like, we have all different kinds of people. Some people respond positively to the light. Some people don't. 
Like, we're all essentially the same, right? Like, I, I really believe that. I know we have different backgrounds, we have different experiences, we have different personalities, we have different strengths and weaknesses. I, I get all that. But we all share the same human experience, right? Like, essentially, we're all the same. And we all start out in darkness to one degree or another. Why do some people experience the goodness and the joy and the peace and the hope and the purpose of the light and other people don't? Well, it's hard to get around it in reading this passage. There's one thing that John talks about a lot in connection with living in the darkness or living in the light. And here's what it is. John talks a lot in these, pass- in these verses about sin, right? I, I read it. I probably said sin 12 times. It's all over the place in there. And he says some strong things about living in sin and how we feel about sin. Listen, I'll, I'll throw some of these up there. This is John, uh, 1 John 1, 8. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth's not in us. Verse 10, if we claim that we've not sinned, we make him out to be a liar and his word is not in us. Chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. My dear children, I write this so that you will not sin. But if anybody does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And not only for ours, but also for the sins of the world. How about this, chapter 2, verse 4. Whoever says, I know him, but does not do what he commands, which is sin, is a liar. And the truth is not in this person. See, this is, this is kind of where we talked about last week. Our lives matter. How we live our lives matter to others and it matters to God. John talks a lot here about the relationship between knowing Jesus and walking in the light, living my life in the light. He says, God is light, right? I mean, literally uses the exact words, God is light. What do you think that means? What does it mean? We just got done talking about what light is, what light means. What do you think it means that God is light? Well, it means that he's truth. It means he's knowledge, he's righteousness, he's holiness, he brings life, he gives clarity, he reveals beauty, he reveals hideousness, sin, right? So knowing the light, knowing God, and living in the light, walking in the light, are connected to each other, right? And that only makes sense. Like if I know Jesus, if I've experienced the light, makes sense that I would walk in that light, right? And conversely, if I don't know him, it makes sense that I would walk the way that I've been walking, in darkness. So here's the question. How do I get to know the light? How, how do I get to know the light? How do I get to know God? What will make me want to move toward the light? Guys, I want you to hear this. Because this is... If you hear nothing else tonight, please listen to this next part. What will make me want to move toward the light in my own life? Here's the answer. I need to recognize my need for the light. What will make me move toward him? I recognize how much I need him. I recognize how much I'm living in darkness. I recognize just how sinful I am. I will never see my need for the light. I will never see my need for God until I realize how filled with darkness and sin I really am. And I know, guys, those are strong, strong words. I love you guys, but we gotta ask ourselves this question. 
the uncomfortable question, like, do I realize the extent of my rottenness? Do I, do I realize the extent of my sinfulness? Do I know just how desperate my situation is? Just how much my sinfulness separates me from a God who is anything but sinful? He's holy, he's perfect, he's righteous. And this is, like, this is the bad news, I get it. Like, we don't like to think of ourselves, we don't like to remember the failures, our shortcomings the things that we do wrong. I get it. It's the bad news. But here's the thing. We have got to accept and get the bad news before we can accept and get the good news. We cannot wrap our minds around the good news until we understand the bad news. We've got to feel the weight of our sinfulness. We've got to feel that separation, that divide that my sin creates between me and God. So I've heard people say this, like, I'm basically good. Like, I'm, I'm a pretty good guy, you know? Like, I'm, I'm, I'm basic. No, you're not. Like, we are absolutely unworthy to receive anything good from God. No matter how good you and I might think we are, we are not entitled to blessing. We're not. We're not entitled to good. We're not entitled to reward. What we're entitled to is punishment. And it's not until we understand and feel that until I could see how good the light is. It's not until I realize how rotten and deserving of separation from God I am and punishment that I can go, oh my goodness, mercy, forgiveness, hope, reconciliation, eternal life. There's, there's a quote I gotta read to you. This was so powerful to me. C.S. Lewis, um, if you've never heard of C.S. Lewis, read anything by him. He'll blow your mind. He's dead now, but he has an amazing mind. This is from a book he wrote called Mere Christianity. I want you to just read, just listen to this. If the universe is not governed by an absolute goodness, then all our efforts are in the long run <coughs> hopeless. <coughs> but if it is, then we're making ourselves enemies to that goodness every day. And we're not in the least likely to do any better tomorrow. And so our case is hopeless again. <coughs> Christianity tells people to repent and promises them forgiveness. It therefore has nothing, as far as I know, to say to people who do not know that they need forgiveness. It's after you've realized that there is a real moral law and power behind the law and that you've broken that law and put yourself wrong with that power. It's after all of this and not a moment sooner that Christianity begins to talk. When you're sick, you'll listen to the doctor. Guys, that's powerful. We don't even know we need a doctor until we realize how sick we are. It reminds me of what Jesus said in Mark 2. Jesus said, it's not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. He said, I'm not called to, I've not come to call the righteous, but sinners. Like that's the whole reason he came. We're living in sin we're living in darkness, we're sick, and we're all in this same boat together. But the gospel is good news. So that's the bad news, right? The gospel is good news. That's what that word gospel means. It means good news. And the good news is that God offers forgiveness and reconciliation. That's the whole reason for the cross, right? That's the whole reason. Jesus took the punishment that we deserve right? Every bit of it that we deserve so that we could be forgiven. So we don't have a weight of our sins on our back anymore. 
<clears throat> and even more than that, we can be reconciled to him. I can now have a, a relationship with the perfect, holy, righteous, just God of the universe. It's crazy, right? That's the good news of the gospel. And until we realize, I love what, what I'm, I'm almost done. I love what Paul said in Romans 6. He said, what a, so Paul, if, if you've ever read the Bible, Paul's probably one of the holiest, like most moral good people that you, in, in the history of the world. And this is what he said, what a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. Here's the incredible news. When you and I confess to God the extent of our sinfulness and we choose to love him, we choose to love the light, we receive that forgiveness and then we have this beautiful certainty for eternity. This is, last thing, this is verse nine, chapter one. John says, if we confess our sins, confess means to agree with. If I agree with God about my sins, he knows anyway, right? If I agree with him, if I confess my sins, He's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from unrighteousness. I, I'm going to invite the band to, to come on up. I, I, I just want to challenge you. I won't pray here in a second, but I just want to challenge you. Have you done that in your life? Have you, have you agreed with what God already knows about you? Have you confessed your sins? Have you, like, do you realize the weight of your sinfulness and how desperate our situation is. We won't, we won't be attracted to the light. We won't be like the moth. We won't be attracted to the light until we realize how much darkness we're in and we're done with it and we're sick of it. Here, here's my challenge to you this week. Talk to God about that. Some of you, I'm 100% certain have done that. You're like, yeah, I'm... I've confessed I'm a follower, I'm his. You need to be reminded. I, I'm convinced that God gives us long-term memory. Part of the reason is so that we don't forget just where we've been. We don't forget just what he's rescued us from. If you trust in him, like remind yourself, just think back. Allow yourself the uncomfortable time of remembering your sins and remembering what God has forgiven you for. If you haven't, talk to God about that. He's listening. He's there. He won't push you away. He has his arms wide open to wrap around you and pull you into the light.